And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Wallace Wagner, author and ordained ecumenical disciple of Jesus, who after having his own sighting of a Tic Tac UFO in 2016, caused him to critically reevaluate his conservative Christian teachings. He now realizes that Jesus should be looked at more as a teacher and the Bible as written is not what it's purported to be. Wallace, thank you for joining me today and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start with this. How conservative were you? Well, to be honest, about as conservative as you could get. Um, I grew up in a Southern Methodist, Southern Baptist uh, environment. And being in the Bible Bible belt, uh, it was exceedingly conservative. So much so that if you didn't believe that the earth was 6,000 years old, because that's what the Bible says, then you really need to question your salvation. And all these UFOs and crafts that these people are seeing, they're all from the devil. They're from the dark side. So I would say that that's pretty conservative. What do you mean by saying that you are a ecumenical Christian? Well, since I wrote Crossing the Crevice, my first book, um, I've really become not a big fan of organized religion. Um, I was Methodist most recently, and now I go to any church I want whenever I want, and that's pretty refreshing. Um, I can be Lutheran one Sunday, Presbyterian the next Sunday, uh, Disciple of Christ the next Sunday, and an Independent the next Sunday. Um, I don't belong to any specific church anymore. Um, a lot of that has to do with, with my belief structure as it stands now. What's interesting to me is that even though you are citing UFOs in the Bible and you've seen UFOs yourself, you still classify yourself as a Christian. I do. Um, for me, I, being a disciple of Christ, Christ and I are brothers. I, uh, I used to view Christ as being God. Now I view myself as being a little Christ or a little, a little Jesus. For me, my God has grown from who he used to be uh, from the Old Testament to who he or it, it is a more exact term, but it sounds a little bit derogatory, so I will say he, uh, being the God of the universes. Uh, for me, we're all children of God. We're all brothers and sisters. So there's certainly more than one son of God, regardless of what uh, a popular rendition of the Apostles' Creed says. I mean, throughout the Bible, there's sons of God, and I am a son of God. It's just my God is no longer the Old Testament God. My God is a bigger God. My God is the God of the universe, a God of love, spirit, and light, uh, a, a God who is full of grace, 
forgiveness and mercy and understanding and a God who just just is control of everything, all the universes, the dimensions and everything in it. So from that standpoint, we're all brothers and sisters of Christ. We're just on different paths. Everybody's on a path. Everybody's evolving. The spirit lives eternally. And I am seeking the light. And since time doesn't exist, I guess we could get into that a little bit. But since time doesn't exist, my spirit is eternal already. So you are speaking to someone now that, that believes in uh, a general form of reincarnation. And I believe that I am a little Jesus. I believe that eventually I will do miracles and works greater than Jesus. And that is biblical, by the way. So it, it, it's a little challenging for me to go to organized church now. Uh, you know, when they're praying to God, the question is, who is God? Uh, is God Yah or Y-H-W-H being, uh, uh, you know, respective to the Jewish faith? Is it Jehovah is, is, is mentioned in the King James Bible only? And uh, is it El? I have come to realize uh, that actually the chief Canaanite God was not Yah. It was El. And Jacob actually made an altar to El not Yah, and called it Bethel, meaning house of God. And this, this El really was Elohim. And the original Hebrew text had Elohim some 2,500 times. Elohim is plural. Mm -hmm. I mean, it includes males and females and it was taken out completely there's no elohim in the bible in the king james bible all, all 2500 instances was taken out and you wonder why and a little voice inside me tells me it's because it was a man's world back then and we wanted one god one male god females weren't involved in any of the, the work in the canon or putting uh, the Bible together. Uh, females back then were second-class citizens uh, all the way around. But this ale had 70 children and a wife. Asherah, or Ishtar, was his wife. So you have two gods. And Asherah is now venerated. She's now in the, the NIV some 40 times. But guess how many she was in the King James? Zero. We couldn't have a female God. And most all scholars now realize that Asherah was venerated even in Solomon's temple for hundreds of years. There's so many statuettes and, and, and relics that have been found that, that uh, she was real. And wherever this L went and wherever Yah went, they both had concerts. 
So this L had 70 children. Yah was one of, the, one of the children. But Yah had brothers and sisters. One of Yah's brothers was Baal, the same Baal that's in the Bible. And over time, Yah and El became closely intertwined, and Baal became the outcast. But Baal morphed into Beelzebub, which morphed into Satan, which morphed into the devil. And it's it's kind of funny what sticks on the wall, but uh, you know, he's considered evil now. But it was actually, you know, Bell who said, You will surely not die if Bell was the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And he's really right, because we certainly don't die. Our spirits live eternally. I am fully, fully convinced of that. And let's just say that each of these 70 children got land on this planet because it was Elohim who created this world instead of us. Us is mentioned in Genesis several times. And your typical Sunday school teacher will, will tell you that us is really, well, that's God, and that's Jesus, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's what us is. Well, that's an assumption, but it fits the agenda. Uh, us was really Elohim, which is a group of gods, male and female. But their children got land. Each of them got a parcel of land, and Yah got what is Israel today. Baal got some other land. So Yah became very jealous, and uh, much like some of the gods that are mentioned, like um, uh, the Anunnaki and uh, some of the like Ptah in, in Egypt, they were lonely. They were jealous. And, and if you look at Yah compared to the New Testament God, it's 180 degrees difference. So you've got to put yourself back, if you can, back to the time of Jerome. He's trying to balance the Jews on one side and the Greeks on the other side. He's trying to serve the church, which is still, you know, in this infancy. He's trying to appease the canonist, trying to put all this together. And, and, and they took out Asherah completely. They took out Elohim completely and made it a, a one God, one man uh, uh, system. And, that, and that's kind of what we still have today. Let's move forward to your sighting in 2016, which caused you to critically reevaluate your beliefs. In 2016, I was still a uh, good old Southern Christian. I was uh, Methodist at that point in time. And I had decided that I would retire at the end of September, 2016. Well, that month, I was a mailman. I had just made a delivery and I was going back to my Jeep and something or something told me to stop and look up. And I was out in the front of the lady's house, actually standing in her yard. And I looked up and directly over my head was what we now call 
a white Tic Tac. Now, this was a year before, it, you know, it came out. But it had no wings, no nacelles, no windows. Brilliant white. Oblong. No sound. No windows. It, it was just very bizarre looking. First, I thought, well, am I seeing a blimp? Or maybe it's Google Earth. Is it a balloon? None of, none of that fit. It was about 50 feet long, maybe 30 feet wide. And originally, I said it was 1,500 to 2,000 feet over my head. I had no way to measure. The sky was as blue as you could imagine. Now I'm thinking it might not have been that far away. Uh, I mean, I could see it plainly. I saw it for maybe three seconds. And then it wasn't there. Now, I've questioned myself on what happened. Uh, did it take off so fast I couldn't see it? Did it go into another dimension? Or did it cloak? Well, being that there was no sound, uh, it either took off so fast I couldn't see it or it cloaked. I don't think it went into another dimension because when I think of another dimension, I think of maybe a gateway opening up or something, maybe a little disturbance in the sky. But in any case, it wasn't there anymore. Didn't think a whole lot about it since I was on the job. Uh, I told my wife that night, I was a Sunday school teacher at the time. I, I, I told my Sunday school class and a few close friends, and that was about it. At that point in time, you didn't want to tell too many people you saw a UFO. But when the government came out and they coined the term Tic Tac, and I, I've, I've seen the films, and uh, that's exactly what I saw. So I was kind of vindicated. Um, I had been taught that all UFOs were from the devil. I wasn't sure I believed that, and now I don't believe it at all. I believe some of them could possibly be ours. But it, uh, it caused me to go back and look at the Bible in a different lens, through the lens of crafts and it has changed a lot of my beliefs. Um, the Bible is actually replete of, of UFOs if you know how to look mm. and where to look. Uh, they were everywhere, from Genesis to Revelation. Can you tell us about some of those stories? Sure. Um, of course, we all know about what Ezekiel saw. So uh, that's a given. Um, let me insert this real fast. You think about angels. Do angels fly? There is a verse that says Gabriel flew. And that's, that's in Daniel chapter 9. But one of the best places for me, uh, there are so many, would be probably judges. Uh, called the, the Song of Deborah and Barak. And in judges... 
they talk about stars leaving their courses. And I'm going to read this exactly. The stars fought from heaven, from their paths, they fought against Sisera. And then in verse 23, this is Judges 5, it says, Curse Monroe's, Monroe's. That, that was the angel of the Lord that said that. Utterly curse its inhabitants because they did not come to help the Lord. We won't get into why the Lord needs help. I mean, that's a whole other issue. But this morose is very interesting. Uh, what happens when, when uh, expositors and, and, and theologians don't understand something, they make an assumption. So the assumption is this is a location or a general location somewhere around Jerusalem. Nobody can agree that that's true. Nobody knows where it is. Nobody can agree where it is. But the Jewish Talmud says something that's pretty telling, that Rose is either a planet or a star. And these stars fought from heaven. How do stars fight from heaven? Well, that was the first question. And then I realized that back then, there were only 7,000 or so Hebrew words compared to way over 100,000 English words. So a lot of these words had different meanings. So if you were alive back then, any light you saw in the sky, that would be a star to you, regardless of how they moved. Um, the Hebrew word uh, uh, for star is ruash or rush. And you, if you look at it from that standpoint, that any light moving in, in, in the sky uh, was a star, it, it really helps you understand the star of Bethlehem. It helps you understand the scar, that stars moving across the sky uh, are really aren't stars at all. Stars fighting are not stars at all. Um, it, it, it just opens up a whole nother vision, a whole nother experience for you in the Bible that, that, that is glossed over or perhaps using a biblical term, your eyes weren't open before, but they are now. Same, the same thing with spirits. Um, if I say that I went up into the spirit, uh, that gets glossed over. And I'm talking about Revelation, when John saw a door open in heaven. And a voice came out of that door and said, come up here. And John went up into the spirit. And that is in every translation I've seen. It's even in the Koine Greek. So it makes you wonder when this he went up into this door up in heaven. Anything you're looking up is heaven. And he's in the spirit. And he gets flowing around the heavens. And we get details of what he saw later in Revelation. Come to find out that in Zechariah, we learned that chariots coming out of bronze mountains, chariots of fire, chariots moving 
from bronze mountains are actually called spirits. So to me, these crafts can also be called spirits. And that adds meaning to what happened when Jesus was baptized. How do you see a spirit that's invisible and has no mass and, and no boundaries? Uh, how do you see that? But yet, the spirit of God came down uh, when Jesus was getting baptized. So uh, lots of times when I read spirit now, I make sure that it, uh, it, it fits as being a true spirit or is it a craft? I've heard that even in the Bible, they talk about a cloaked craft. Is that true? It is. Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha had an experience with cloaked crafts. Um, the setting is like this. Uh, he had his servant with him. His servant could not see the crafts. So Elijah prayed for his servant to have opened eyes. And his eyes opened. And lo and behold, he saw all these chariots of fire and horses around Elijah that he couldn't see, or around Elisha that he could not see before. They were there, but he couldn't see them till Elisha prayed. So they were cloaked. And talking about cloaked crafts, we, we, we just see a very small percentage of the light spectrum. Uh, but I'll let listeners know that, that, that maybe 1%. Maybe it's definitely south of 2%. That's all we see. Uh, things can be out there, and I'm sure things are out there right now that uh, we just can't see. But they, that doesn't mean they're not there. Them praying to be able to see the chariots is almost like a CE5 event where they're meditating to see UFOs. Exactly, exactly. Within the Bible, do you think most of these stories are eyewitness accounts? I think the UFOs were so prevalent, I'm going to call them crafts, were so prevalent back then that, that definitely eyewitness, but it's multiple, multiple eyewitnesses. Um, whether you were Moses, whether you were Elijah, whether you were Elisha, whether you, whether you were Paul when he had the Damascus Road uh, experience, uh, so many places that... that these crafts uh, um, were there that, that I think that it's just got so that it either got weeded out and they didn't have a word for crafts or it didn't fit the agenda. So it's, it's glossed over. Well, what you have to do is change your mode and change your lens, open your eyes and realize that there's no way the star of Bethlehem could move the way it did to bring the Magi over Jesus. There's no way that star of Bethlehem would shine a light down around, uh, around the shepherds in the field, biting their flock by night. Mm -hmm. That same round light shone around Paul. And a voice came out from that light. And that, that's, that's something else that's interesting. I make a point of this in my first book, the word glories or glory. It has multiple meanings. Uh, think of glory as a brilliant, the most brilliant light 
uh, that you can imagine that's formed in a stream, a well-defined light, like a beam of light. That's what glory is. The second verse of Silent Night, something that's often overlooked. Hmm. Glories stream afar, stream from heaven. That's glory that streamed down around the shepherds. It was glory that streamed around Jesus. It was glory that streamed around Paul. Um, it, it's just something to consider. <laughs> And, and, and between spirits and stars and glory, those three words have, have, you know, they were responsible really for for changing a lot of my belief structure. When I when I mastered those three words and looked at things differently, it uh, changed me. You know that there's so many different versions and interpretations of the Bible but they never seem to talk about what you're talking about. You think there's an agenda behind it. It's the same agenda since day one, uh, since the early church. Nothing has really changed except the Bible has been modified so many times. Uh, you know, originally reincarnation was okay. Origen believed in his form of reincarnation and he was he was considered to be the wisest and brightest mind the early church ever had. So for two hundred and some years, reincarnation was okay. It slowly got weeded out, and and by the time it got to Jerome, it uh, got weeded out. It got weeded out more later with uh, Emperor Justinian. It got weeded out later uh, in the King James Bible, and now it's even you know really taboo to talk about. Uh, one of the things I would throw out is who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist was Elijah, plain and simple. I mean, that's verbatim in Matthew. And uh, who do you think would be one of the two prophets coming back uh, at the time Revelation says uh, it might be Elijah again? Uh, so this Elijah fellow seems to be able to uh, go and come. I'm sure you know of Fatima, but do you also know of Medjugorje or Medjugorje? And if so, what are your thoughts on those? I've been to Fatima, uh, Portugal. Uh, I've read several books on it. I do believe that was a true event. Uh, it ended up being seen by many, many, many people. And, and uh, one of the most interesting things was, from what I remember reading, was when there were thousands of people out there, the field was muddy, but when the event ended, the field was dry. And I really don't have a, a comment on, on your second question. Do you think that there is all this hidden information in the Bible right under our noses and that we just have to know how to look for it? Exactly, especially when it comes to crafts, UFOs, extraterrestrials, and whatnot. Um, I no longer believe in miracles. All a miracle is is uh, a lack of understanding. Um, 
you look at all the other gods. We never mention other gods in a Christian church. We never mention Hinduism, Buddhism. We fall into a trap. Um, we all want to think we're right. So we might go to a bookstore. We, we buy something or watch something or, or read something that we already believe. So we want to support what we already know or look at it from another angle. We're really afraid to step outside the gates of what uh, Reverend Michael Carter would say would be, you know, Western culture or Western Christianity. Those gates do have hinges and I've stepped outside and I've realized we're all on a path and I, I, I view it as being in a pond uh, with many lily pads. And a lot of us are very, very happy on the lily pad we're on. But I'm here to tell you that there's new realities uh, on other lily pads, and it's okay to jump from one lily pad to another. And we're all in the same pond. So we're all brothers and sisters. So Michael has taught me that I am on a path and I'm being led. And a lot of what I've already mentioned in, in terms of uh, God and the Bible and whatnot are, are some truths I found out. And a lot of it's been it's been self-taught. I'm pretty much self-taught because you, you don't find this stuff out in, in uh, uh, typical books at a Christian bookstore or in Sunday school or in a sermon. You just you don't. You've got to find this information out on your own. I think that even the Catholic Church is aware of UFOs and ETs and would say that even so, it doesn't negate that we're all under God. That's true. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that all of these gods, and I'm putting Yah in the same category, but around the world, all these gods uh, uh, came in crafts. And we know now that when you're in this craft and you're flying fast, time really doesn't exist for you while you're in that craft. I mean, it's based upon uh, Einstein's theory of relativity. We, we know this, the faster you fly, in that craft, the less time expires. And I, I put an example in within uh, Grasp, my latest book, that uh, assuming you, you went out into space, maybe a third of a parsec, and you were flying at 80% of the speed of light, and you turned around and came back to Earth, no one would know you. You might have a few great, 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 great grandchildren. Hundreds of years passed on Earth, and it might seem like two seconds while you were in that craft flying that fast. And that's, you might call that missing time. And there's been, that's happened to cultures around, around the world. But these crafts came to help us, they didn't come to destroy us. And these enlightened beings, regardless of your location, whether you're in India or, or Thailand or Mexico, uh, around the world, they all came in crafts. Most of them could fly. 
And they, they really came to teach us. They didn't come to destroy us. They're all teachers. And that has helped me realize that Jesus is a teacher and he needs to be looked at as a teacher. And we are his students. We're, we're saved already. I mean, look, look at Dismas, the fellow to the right of the cross of Jesus. He didn't ask to be saved. He didn't have to be born again. He didn't confess his sins. He didn't ask Jesus to come to his heart. But yet he was told after one little sentence that he was going to be in paradise with Jesus that day. That just, you know, plays into what I know that we don't die. We live eternally. And all, all death is is passing from this vessel, which has ceased to exist, back into our natural state, which is spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that we've graduated from pre-K to be a master like Jesus. And that's, that's something that plays into my belief in reincarnation now, that we've got a lot to learn, a lot to learn. And another thing, when Yah and El were here, they didn't, they didn't land in India. No one ever said, you need to go to India and destroy that belief system. All of these countries have their own gods. And look at Hinduism. They had Brahmanas. And, and Jesus never said, you know, my, my Christianity, in fact, he didn't even teach Christianity. He taught truth uh, that, that, that you need to destroy everything else, every religious system that, that's on the planet. He built up. He did not tear down. And, and it has really caused me to look inside since I know now that I am a spirit and that I don't die and that I'm here to learn, to evolve, to learn from my mistakes and to continue on because my path, whenever I reach the end of it, and time is not a factor, I'm heading towards the light. And I believe every one of us, whether we admit it or know it, are heading towards the light. And that light is the creator of all. And that, that who is, is, that's who is my God now. It's, it's no longer El or Yah. My God is their God. Uh, my God is the creator of the universe, living in spirit only who's genderless. That's my God. Now you grew up in this conservative Christian environment. So yep. after writing your first book, Crossing the Crevice, how did your environment or your community accept you after that? Well, Crossing the Crevice and Within Grasp, they're both ice cream, but they're different flavors. Crossing the Crevice is, is more scientific. Um, within grasp is more spiritual. I'm an ancient alien believer, needless to say, but I look at it from trying to get people that view the Bible as their foundation and as their truth to look at it differently and approach the ancient alien uh, theory from that direction instead of you know, exploiting the ancient aliens and trying to bring that truth back 
to everyone else. I'm, I'm kind of going in an opposite direction. If I can get people to realize that the Bible isn't quite what they've been taught it is, and a little more history of the early church and the early church fathers, and to get them to do study on their own instead of just wanting to be taught, going around with blinders by the same information that's been out there for 1,600 years, it will change them or get them to open their eyes. And once their eyes are opened, they will be more willing uh, to see that there's other lily pads that they can jump to. And each one of those lily pads holds different truths. And that, that's, that's really the gist of uh, those books. It hasn't created any ill will with anybody. In fact, uh, my Amazon rating has, has been surprisingly good uh, of people that have read the book. Um, I no longer teach Sunday school, needless to say. And uh, if there was a church here that I would go to, it would probably be the Universalist Unitarian, but we don't have one. I'd really like to, to see a religion started based on the ancient alien or ancient astronaut theory and with, with a larger God, the God of the universe being the God and uh, Jesus being a teacher or a master, just like Buddha was or Zoroaster was or, um, you know, El was or <clears throat> any of the other gods that came to teach us. But we don't have that. So maybe I'm planting a seed for somebody. A lot of Christians will talk about that Jesus is going to return one day. How do you put that into the ancient alien perspective? I do believe that he will return someday from the east, and all eyes will see him. He will be returning with what I call lights, what... Uh, the ancients would call stars, lots of stars, lots of lights, lots of angels, and he'll come in crafts. The angels and Jesus will come in crafts, and I believe Jesus' craft will be the brightest one of the ones. And those crafts uh, are legions of angels, without doubt, just like Gabriel flew in a craft when he visited Daniel. That's my take. All right. Also in your first book, you write about the pyramids in Egypt. What is your take on those? Oh, boy, that, that's a loaded question, Jeff. <laughs> um, you know, I've been to the Great Pyramid. I've been to Egypt. Uh, been inside. Even got in with my, my little square, which I wasn't supposed to have. And I can tell you the sarcophagus is as square as any item I've ever seen in my life. That, that uh, it was uh, made out of a solid piece of black granite. That's believable. You're taught that they didn't have anything but copper. Well, copper wouldn't do what was done to make that sarcophagus in, in, in the king's chamber. You could actually put your finger in the drill holes in the back and actually fill a lip. Some way, somehow, they had hydraulics with some kind of some super duty metal. 
even when that was built. You're taught that it was built back around 2560 BC. You're taught that it was Khufu's tomb or built for Khufu or by Khufu. And you're taught that you have all these other pyramids were basically trial and errors, whether you have the old brick pyramids or the, or the step pyramid or the bent pyramid, and they eventually work their way up to the Great Pyramid. That's where it went off the edge for me. No way was the Great Pyramid, you know, the last and the greatest to be built. If so, using what they had taught me, or what you're even told today if you go over there, was each of these pharaohs wanted to one-up the one before them. All you got to do is look at the next pyramid after the Great Pyramid. It's nothing but a heap of rocks. And it was a stagnant, pretty peaceful time in Egypt. What happened? Another, another issue I have, all the other pyramids have all the hieroglyphics, all the statues, uh, items there to help the Pharaoh pass over to the other side. None of that was found in the Great Pyramid. There's no hieroglyphics at all. Uh, there have been no jars, nothing, nothing, no statues, anything found like that. In fact, the only statue of Khufu that was found was hundreds of miles away. And it's about that tall. That's about six inches. That's all we really we know about Khufu. And yet, here the Great Pyramid is, is supposed to be Khufu's tomb. Let me tell you a little bit uh, about the book of Adam and Eve. It did not make it into the Bible, but in it, there, there's a verse or two that tells Noah to take the entombed, embodied uh, body of Adam and place it in the center of the earth. Now, how do you do that? You can't, you can't go into the core of the earth. The center of the earth is exactly, geographically speaking, where the Great Pyramid sits. I have read every book on the Great Pyramid. In fact, my, I was eventually going to write a book on the Great Pyramid, but there's so many out there already, I couldn't add to what's out there. The Great Pyramid is nothing but the earth in stone. That's what it is. It sits at the geographical center of the earth. And if you look at all the numbers, uh, the pyramidal inch, the cubic inch, uh, so much, it's nothing but an exact duplicate of the earth. The height is the exact height of the average of the mountains. It's, it sits on the earth, but it does more than that. All the other pyramids sit on the earth. And you would think the Great Pyramid sits on the earth until you look at the base of it and you realize it's socketed into the earth. The earth is part of the base of the pyramid. And so many books are out there on, on what it could have been. The one that resonates with me the most uh, was actually 
one written by a fellow by the name of Busby. And, and the Great Pyramid, I believe, out of all the uh, you know suggestions out there of what it could have been, I believe it was an initiation chamber, perhaps for a mystery school, perhaps for uh, a mystery school in Egypt called the Panthers, of which Jesus may have been a member. To be a graduate of a mystery school 2,000 years ago made you somebody in society where you worked before. And uh, there is, you know, some history that would state that Jesus was a graduate of uh, the Panthers, which was a mystery school, and went through the Great Pyramid. Tell you something else. You know, it was covered in white limestone. It's been calculated that there were 36,000 piece, 36, pieces of white limestone on each side, and there's four sides that show. 36,000 times four is the magical number of 144,000, which matches the number of the chosen ones in Revelation. Interesting thing. Before about 1100 AD, those stones were still present. And it's fairly well documented that each one of those casing stones had a name engraved on it that no one could decipher. And each of those names were different. So from that standpoint, you had 144,000 different names on that pyramid. Now, what happened was there was a bad earthquake or two, and uh, most of the casing stones ended up in mosque uh, in Cairo because it was easy pickings. But uh, it, it, it certainly raises an eyebrow, being that that's the only pyramid socketed in the earth. And based on my belief, that pyramid's at least 10 or 12,000 years old. And there are some geologists that, that share that opinion as well. And the actual other pyramids are just copies trying to even build something similar to that. And of course, they all have failed. Um, it, it, it's pretty just pretty amazing that, that, that the white limestone casing blocks were put together so fine that it, it made the structure appear solid. And there was one door on one side that you could open with your pinky, your pinky finger, if you knew where it was. It was balanced that well, that you could open it and it would swivel open. We didn't know that until uh, later. Uh, a fellow by the name of Al Mamone tried to blast his way in, and that, that's what you see now. Uh, he missed the, the door by so many feet, but uh, it, for your listeners, if you ever have the chance to go, that is your one place you need to go in the Middle East. Uh, I mean, it's right up there with Bethlehem. It's, it's, uh, you've, got, you've got to see it. Uh, it, it. It makes the hair stand up uh, you know, on your arms. Uh, it's so perfectly put together. And people say, well, is it mentioned in the Bible? I personally believe it is. Uh, mm -hmm. In the book of Job, uh, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Uh, that is the foundation of the earth. And it is part of the foundation of the earth. And it is a mathematical description of the earth. And there's no way the Egyptians would know where the center of the earth was. 
let alone all the mathematical calculations and numbers that purport that it is the earth. Um, it's just unbelievable. Why do you feel like Bethlehem is a place that we should visit? Well, the, for one thing, that's the birth of Christ, and Christ is important to me. Um, I went there when it was closed off, so I had to have some contacts and be traded off amongst the machine guns to even cross the border. Hmm. <clears throat> but I made it in, and uh, there's something special about the Church of the Nativity, if, the, if that's where you believe Christ was actually uh, born. There's something special about it, and... and uh, I felt that that was the place uh, uh, that Christ was indeed born. And, and going there actually past the fields of Ruth, where the shepherds were that night that I had talked about uh, previously. And you could see where they were. And uh, it's just, it's a special place. He wasn't born in a, what we would call or think of as a stable when you start thinking of something wooden. Uh, most everything over there is actually a limestone cave. Caves are prevalent everywhere. That's why Jerome lived in a cave. Uh, I actually believe that Jesus was born in a cave right there in, where the Church of the Nativity uh, uh, is. And uh, anyway, that's that's why that's important to me. On my podcast, we talk a lot about near-death experiences. And in your new book, Within Grasp, you talk about what happens at death. So can you tell us about that? As I mentioned, Within Grasp is, is a lot more spiritual. Uh, aside from the one chapter on who God is, I've interviewed four people. Uh, one was uh, Reverend Michael Carter that we mentioned already. Uh, one was Dr. Uh, Paul H. Smith, who was... Uh, a member of Project Stargate. And uh, another was um, a lay person that I did not know. Another was the first uh, preacher or minister to admit that there were UFOs in the Bible, Dr. Barry Downing. And lastly, I interviewed an ordained spiritual empath and we talked about near-death experiences. I told her that I believed in them. I've read several books on them. And she told me about an experience that I put in the book. Uh, I'll share with you now. I don't think she would mind at all. She had a very close friend who was ill, and she knew her time was close. And one night while in bed, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning, Barbara felt herself all of a sudden being in this tunnel, and she was there with her friend. And this tunnel was just a dark hallway. There was no light to speak of. And Barbara looked at her kind of strangely and said, well, I guess you croaked. <laughs> and she said, yeah, I guess I did. So they're there in this tunnel. And course Barbara's really asleep in bed and all of a sudden this dog comes up in the tunnel and it, it was her friend's favorite dog that had, had had passed earlier and the dog jumps up on both of them and licks them and gets dog slobber on them and uh, at that point 
all of a sudden, a small light could be seen down the end of the tunnel. And to make a long story short, uh, her friend realizes that's some of her family members. And her friend asked Barbara, do you want to go with me? And Barbara says, no, I have other things to do. I think your spirit guide's here now, so I'll let you go. So she took off and headed down the tunnel towards the light, like so many do. And the following morning, Barbara wakes up. And she has dog slobber all over her <laughs> in her bed. And she gets a call uh, from the doctor and, and said, you know, your, your, your friend passed away. And then Barbara says, yeah, I know. It was about three o'clock, wasn't it? And the doctor says, yes, how do you know that? And she said, well, I was there. And that, that's making a long story short, but uh, I found that fascinating. So, so many uh, people have the same experience. It's like there's always a tunnel. And I ask the question, have you ever heard anybody say that there's doors or gateways in that tunnel? She said, some do, but most, uh, most don't. But there are some gateways and some doors inside that tunnel. And, uh, but most people are in the tunnel and they eventually see a light. And they feel themselves being pulled toward this light. And I ask, was this like Jesus? And the general answer is, is no. It's, 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 it's the goodness of God, so to speak. And I'm, I'm going to let her words in the book uh, really explain what she thinks it is. But it, it, it's helped me understand the big God of the universe. And uh, the big God who exists in spirit only, light and love. And that light is so bright that, that that's the light that we're he really uh, heading towards is, is the creator. All of us, all of us are on a path, whether we realize it or want to acknowledge it. Uh, I know that we're taught that we have this one life, make the best of it. Once saved, always saved. You die, you're, in G you're with Jesus in heaven, eternity, where there's no tears, you walk on street of gold. That's all, you know, poppycock to me now. Uh, I consider myself to be in kindergarten or even pre-K. I exist, uh, I view Jesus as having a doctorate. But Jesus says, these are his own words in John 14, and, and I, I mentioned this several times in Within Grasp. When he goes to the Father, we will do the same miracles and works, if not greater, than he has done. Now let that sink in for a minute. I know of nobody who's done the same miracles as Jesus has done. I know of someone who sat on water. I know of people who levitated. Le levitation is acceptable in the church, or used to be. Look at St. Joseph uh, Cuparino. He levitated and was a saint. Uh, but now 
Levitation is, you know, taboo. But it there, there has to be more than this one life. And I, you look at you look at the Hindus. There, the religion has been around a lot longer than Christianity, and they have thousands of, of, of documented cases of reincarnation. And it's it's not even a belief for them; it's a foundational fact. And again. No one said to go to India and to destroy their belief structure. Um, and you look at you look at um, who John the Baptist was, and you can look at some other other writings that didn't make it in the Bible. I actually have all all the ancient scripts and parchments uh, on my computer of uh, the ancient texts that didn't make it in the computer. Based on everything we've talked about tonight, there's a lot of other places that this Jesus uh, is definitely, I don't want to say an alien, but an advanced uh, brother, uh, uh, enlightened. And when I say enlightened, I mean that both ways, full of knowledge, but also light. Um, and light as in brightness. Uh, Look what happened at the Transfiguration. Uh, so so many things. Uh, that, that that's that's our future. We're all brothers and sisters, and uh, I think Jesus really says that when he says you'll do greater miracles than what I've done. He's either talking about our future or future incarnation, or else he's a liar. It has to be one of the two. And my Jesus is not a liar. He's my teacher. He's my mentor. Uh, I believe everything he said is truth. He never focused on money. He never focused on tearing people down. Uh, uh, it was always build up, always teaching. When he picked his disciples, the first thing he did was starting to teach them in the Beatitudes. And he taught them the whole time. A funny thing is they got advanced knowledge there was a two-tier system. He gave his disciples advanced knowledge. Everyone else got the standard issue. And you and I fall into the standard issue, unfortunately, Jeff. But uh, the disciples actually got, you know, a lot a lot advanced knowledge on exactly what the kingdom of heaven is and whatnot. And, and we get bits and pieces. But that's okay. We 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 will know sooner than later. And sooner or later is not even the correct terminology. We will know at a point down the road or further down the path. Earlier, you mentioned Project Stargate. What is that? Project Stargate is or was, it's terminated now, at least as far as we know. Um, let's say a secret, somewhat secret, definitely classified program that was at one point in the army, at one point controlled by the CIA and whatnot. But basically what that was, was remote viewing. I don't, uh, maybe your listeners have heard of remote viewing. Uh, it, it basically entails two people. Uh, what happens is you're able to leave your body in spirit using your brain. This is a place where you can use your brain and you can see things uh, 
and write them down and report back what you saw. Distance has no, no variance at all. I mean, if you want to remote view Mars, it's the same as remote viewing someone two miles away. The, the distance thing doesn't apply. Um, the more you do it, the more refined you are, the better you get. And when I, the reason I interviewed a remote viewer was actually goes back to Paul. So let me finish the remote viewing, then we'll talk about Paul. I interviewed Dr. Paul Smith. Um, he's a retired major, U.S. Army. He actually saw the USS Stark event some 50 hours before it happened. Everything that happened, he saw in a remote viewing uh, uh, session. And other remote viewers have seen other things. We have seen Soviet submarines under the ocean. Uh, we've seen some other planets. We've seen uh, the moon. Uh, you know, an obstacle or something of mass is, is uh, you know, not even in the equation. You go through doors, you can go through anything. It's your spirit controlled by your brain that gets you there and you can see what is there. The more refined you are, the more exact you are. And you, you need that interpreter to uh, 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 interpret what you see. So this, this is what the CIA and the Army used for some 20 years. Uh, it was banned, uh, disbanded uh, in the 1990s. And uh, that's what remote viewing is. I'll put that in my book because, you know, we're, we're, we're taught about the heart. Everything's about the heart. And I look at the heart as a repository, but I look at the brain as a magnifying lens. We're taught a lot about the heart, but hardly anything about the lens. We barely use our brains. And let me give you the example with Paul. It's easy to believe that when Paul had the Damascus Road experience that he immediately became an apostle. That didn't happen. In fact, the Damascus Road experience was years after the apostles had already been picked. And then when Paul did have the Damascus Road experience, guess what happened? He went to Saudi Arabia for three years for training before he became an apostle. So here you have a tent maker who was a persecutor of Christians who had the Damascus Road experience, went for training. We don't know who trained him. Some expositors think it was Jesus himself. Some think he may have gone to a mystery school. We just don't know. What we do know is when he came back, he had powers he didn't have before in that three short years. Uh, you know, he brought somebody back to life. And he brought, he, he looked at a fella and, and was able to blind him. And uh, he didn't have those powers before. It's, it, it, it's training of the brain. It's, it, it's being taught. And I really think we miss out on a lot of that uh, in Jesus's teachings. We focus on Jesus as being a savior and not a teacher. What if he was really trying to teach us to use our brains? 
the only the only apostle that that really got some that we know of of, of what Jesus was trying to say was Peter. And that's when he took the step outside the boat. He did take one step on the water by himself before he panicked and called out to Jesus. So, you know, that tells me a lot. Uh, you know, Jesus says, if you have faith, you'll move a mountain. Faith, faith of a mustard seed. What if faith is really brain power? What if we have faith all wrong to compare to what it was back then? And, and, and you have people that have some ESP abilities and, and a lot of the extraterrestrials uh, communicate by telepathy. What if telepathy and all this stuff is in our future? We just, and it's really, we could have it now, but there's no training. There's no training. So I wanted to put that in within grasp. Is, is that something that, that, you know, I, I think is overlooked a lot. And uh, I think we're catching on now. There's a few places like Duke and whatnot that are are looking into the powers of the brain. But we've, we've got a lot in our future uh, uh, in store for us as our spirits go, not our bodies. Your books are called Crossing the Crevice and Within Grasp. Do we find them on your website or on Amazon? Amazon. I do have a website. Uh, I took Crossing the Crevice down and replaced it with withingrasp.net. For your listeners, it's www.withingrasp.net. You can read all about the book there, but uh, they're both available on Amazon. Crossing the Crevice is an eight and a half by 11 full color book, but you can also buy an eight by 10 grayscale. The Within Grasp is totally grayscale and is a six by nine. Uh, they're both available on Kindle and probably within Jeff six or eight weeks, I'll have an audio available uh, for Within Grasp as well. I have a fellow reading it now i haven't heard it yet but uh, i do have a contract for that after watching this podcast people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions are you up for that sure uh i'll just go ahead and give out my uh, email it's it's on the website by the way you can contact me on directly from the website but my email is uh, the name of the book within grasp at be sure to put the at symbol, shintel, S-H-E-N-T-E-L dot net, within grasp at shintel.net, and I will respond as best as I can. Be glad to. All right, Wallace, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? One last positive message would definitely be we do not die. We have death all wrong. Death is simply a passing. My belief is that it's a passing that has occurred for me many times, but I just don't remember it. All it is is leaving this vessel, this body, which, which we use to help us learn by tasting, helping us experience emotions, you know, feeling, uh, leaving this vessel going back to our original state, which is spirit, 
which is where the Lord is uh, in spirit form. And, and from that point, we will make a decision to experience something else later. When, when you're in your spirit form, time doesn't exist. So forget about time. It's a misnomer anyway. It's only here for us now while we're on this planet, while we're in these bodies. Uh, outside of here, doesn't exist. Neither, neither does space as we realize it. So from that standpoint, uh, don't be afraid to die. Learn what you can learn while you're here now. Experience what you can experience while you're here now. And realize you'll learn from your mistakes. And there's a lot more ahead, a lot more ahead as we go towards the light. That's what I would I want the listeners to know. It's a good message. Well, thank well, you. Wallace, thank you for joining me today, and I wish you the best. Thank you very much, Jeff. I have totally enjoyed it. Best to you, best to your listeners, and yes, I will respond to emails. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.